When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. I am flying solo today because Sabrina has decided to skip off to Hawaii and, you know, have a birthday trip with her girlfriends where I just got a text saying, hi, having a drink, thinking of you. So, you know, I'm a little bitter today, but that's perfect for uh, today's guest. Sarah Knight, New York Times best-selling author of the No Fucks Given Guide, of which there are four, five? Five books, yeah. Five books, and a podcaster of the same name, which is No Fucks Given Podcast. And when I saw No Fucks Given, I'm like, this is for me. (laughs) This is for me. You're sort of known as the anti-guru. What does that mean? I mean, I saw it said, you're the guru for people who don't like being told what to do. Exactly. I call the No Fucks Given Guides advice for people who hate being told what to do because I am one of those people. And I have to admit, I was really skeptical of the self-help genre for a long time. I was actually a book editor myself in New York City for 15 years. And not like a minor book editor. You were an incredibly successful book editor with numerous authors who had numerous bestsellers. It is all true. Yes. Yes. I was very successful and actually kind of, I mean, maybe not at the peak, but we will never know because I quit my job. Uh, But I quit my job five years ago with a number of books on the bestseller list and a really good track record, but I wanted to work for myself. I just desperately wanted to get out of that corporate environment and be my own boss. So that's uh, when I started writing my own books and then launched the podcast this year. And, uh, and that's where we are. Okay. So tell me a little bit, cause I, you know, I'm one of those people, like I always end up downloading one of the self-help books and I, I don't do it anymore because I get through like the first four pages and I'm done. I'm like, I hear you. <laughs> you know, you can tell me all this stuff over and over. It does not mean I'm going to apply any of it. Well, what I hear from my readers, of which there are many millions now around the world, is that, you know, they are enjoying the foul language and the humor and the delivery. And I think that it matters, uh, you know, how you get the information, how it is uh, presented to you. And that is, you know, I think one of the reasons they call me the anti-guru is just because the F word is in most of my book titles, but also it's because I'm I'm speaking to people in a way that maybe other self-help books haven't spoken to them before. And for some reason, it's hitting. So, you know, I'm happy to just keep doing what I'm doing because this is this is me. I don't have to really change or censor who I am to write these books. It's the advice that's worked for me for motivation and goal setting and mental health and anxiety and confidence. And I'm just putting it out there in the world for other people. And well, it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. So ex- what exactly is the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck? So it is the title of my first book, and it is also an extraordinarily liberating way to live your life. Uh, Originally, I intended to write an affectionate, 
humorous parody of Marie Kondo's decluttering Bible that I'm sure your listeners have heard of, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. She's got a Netflix show. She's very cute. And her methods really work. Does it give (laughs) you joy? I'm like, I don't know if this shirt gives me joy. You know, I really don't. I like it when I wear it. I don't always go for it, but it doesn't make me angry, but I'm not sure it brings me joy. So this is where um, the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck came in. And I said, you know, what I've been doing, quitting my job, going out on my own, letting go of a lot of the things that I had spending my my time, energy, and money on for the first 35 years of my life um, was really more about mental decluttering than physical decluttering. And I had really stopped giving a fuck, you know, instead of tidying up, I was not giving a fuck. So my question for my readers is, does it annoy? And if it annoys you, you need to clear out that mental clutter. So the first book introduced to this concept. And like I said, I thought it was just going to be a fun parody of uh, a decluttering manual. And it turned into a little empire of its own. So, you know. Pretty cool. <laughs> Explain if it's about getting rid of things that annoy you. I would be mm-hmm. very lonely <laughs> and sitting by myself somewhere on certain days. Explain to people what fucks are. Exactly. So uh, in my parlance, your fuck bucks are your time, energy, and money. And spending them wisely is making your fuck budget and sticking to it. So you really have to start thinking of your time and energy the same way you would think of the actual cash money in your bank account. And remember that, you know, time is limited. We're not, they're not making any more of it. Uh, We've all got a certain amount and we need to Uh, you know, spend it the way that makes us happy in a way that doesn't annoy. And the same with your energy, you know, you can be out straight, type A, overachiever, juggling all those balls in the air, but you are going to get exhausted. You're going to get depleted and overextended. And at some point, one of those balls is going to land on your face. (laughs) Okay. So you really have to stop overextending yourself energy wise. And I think money is pretty self-explanatory. That's a fuck buck. You already know you shouldn't be going in the red on. So I encourage people to look at what's worth their fuck bucks. What is worth the spend? And, you know, frankly, there's a lot of stuff that we've been doing in our lives that we've been doing out of a sense of obligation that is not truly something we have to do out of guilt, which I go into great detail on in a couple of my books. And if you can ask yourself, honestly, is it worth it? And answer honestly, no, it is not. That's the first step of mental decluttering, which is discarding those fucks you no longer want to give. And then the second step is organizing your life around the fucks you have left and, you know, putting that fuck budget in order and keeping it that way. I saw a TED talk you did and it was your, the graphics were great and it helped really, you know, and I'm sure those are in the book too. Like it helped me make sense of things because it's so practical what you say. Why am I going to waste time and energy on something that I don't want to do. And you use a great example of going to a dinner party that you do not want to go to. Yeah. Which is instead of just being like, oh, I have to go or going to drinks with a coworker you don't care for or Mm -hmm. have a relationship with. It's about learning to say no without being offensive. And you have a formula for that too, which was, if I remember correctly, wasn't it... um, It's the not sorry method. Exactly. Explain that. (laughs) 
again, the not sorry method was kind of a little, um, you know, nod to Marie Kondo's KonMari method. But with not sorry, you're executing your decisions with honesty and politeness. So for example, if there's a dinner party you don't want to go to, assuming that we were even able to go to dinner parties right now, but when we are able to, yes. here's some advice for you. Uh, you get invited and you don't want to go because your friend who's throwing it uh, has a new boyfriend and you don't like the guy. You don't want to be around him. You don't want to have to talk to him. You're afraid you're going to have to sit next to him and you frankly just don't want to be there. Well, you say, no, I can't make it. I'm so sorry. I'm not available. Thanks for inviting me. I can't make it. You know, that's polite. You don't say, uh, yeah, I'm not coming because I hate your fucking boyfriend. <laughs> That's impolite. That's rude. So if you express your decision, if you say your no with honesty and politeness, then you've done nothing wrong and you don't have anything to feel guilty about and you're not an asshole and you don't have anything to apologize for. Hence the name of the method, the not sorry method. Which I love because I am spent half my life feeling guilty about oh, no. We have to work on that. Yeah. How do I get rid of like, first of all, you know, I was raised with guilt. I'm filled with guilt. I constantly feel like I should be doing more or less or this or that. How do I deal with guilt? So I have this really great flow chart in my last book, which was called Fuck No. And it was just a manual for saying no in all situations. And there's a focus on guilt, which is frankly, about 75% of it is coming from your own head. Okay. It's not somebody else who said anything to you. You've got these voices in your own head that for some reason you are listening to, even when they are not real, even when nobody has actually told you, you should have said yes to that. I am here to make you feel guilty about it. So the first step is to ask yourself if you truly have anything to feel guilty about, are you doing something objectively wrong? Well, first you know, of all, are you clearly, clearly you're not Jewish. <laughs> no, but my husband is. So I like to say I'm, I'm Jewish by injection. Exactly. Um, and I have a, I have a big Jewish family of in-laws. So, uh, you know, that I've so been have hanging a, out with. You have a deep understanding of guilt that doesn't make sense. I do. And the fact is all of my no fucks given guides are predicated upon logical, rational, honest, simple, binary looks at is this really a bad thing you've done or are you just making up a whole sense of guilt? And if it's not something bad, if you are not stealing, if you are not lying, if you are not being an asshole, then you really don't have anything to feel guilty about. And those are the first uh, steps toward being able to say no with confidence. Ask yourself, do I, have I really done something or am I thinking about doing something that is objectively wrong? And if the answer is no, you proceed to the next part in the flow chart. And people can find these on my website yes. at nofucksgivenguides.com. They don't even have to read the books, which my publisher will hate me for saying. Right. But, but you also get the downloads and you get the, yeah. the journals. You have Straight I, I to the was, flow charts. I was all over it. <laughs> And I'm going to skip ahead to, okay, you've maybe, uh, you know, somebody is making you feel guilty because they say, um, oh, I wish you could come. That's a natural reaction. You probably say that to other people when right. they say no to an invitation. It's not because you're trying to be nasty or mean or really change their mind. You're just reacting, oh, I wish you could be there. And you can parrot that back to them. I know I wish I could too, but it's not possible. And if you get to a point where somebody is really pushing you, they're really intentionally making you feel guilty and laying it on. My favorite thing to do is say, I really believe that the fact that you can't take no for an answer says more about you than it does about me. 
Wow. I wish I, I mean, could. But how do okay? It works. Here's a yeah, yes, it does. How do I flip the script on that? And I find myself doing things not to make other people feel guilty, but I'm finding what I hate having done to me, sometimes just in life, we do to other people. Exactly. How do we break that cycle? Oh, God, I hate that I just used self-help talk. It's okay. I can throw out the word journey if you'd like. No, please don't. I don't, I don't, I can't. I can't, I'm like, you know, I can't. I I can't, I'd rather read Too Fab and TMZ than a self-help book because for me, it's more interesting. (laughs) I totally hear you. I totally hear you. Um, But the thing is, you know, Fuck no is actually a long form journey into accepting no in as much as it is also to saying no with confidence. We need to say the no we want to hear in the world so that other people will have to practice hearing it, taking it in and accepting it. And that includes ourselves. And I always tell people, you know, think about if the shoe was on the other foot. Some of the way you banish that guilt inside your own head is to ask yourself, wait, is this an objectively bad thing I'm doing? If it was my party and somebody RSVP'd no, would I be angry at them? Would I try to make them feel bad about it? No, it's just a fucking party. You know, 20% of people don't come to parties. That's why wedding planners always tell you to up your invitation count because you're going to have people who don't go for one reason or another. And I wasn't mad at any of the people that didn't come to my wedding. I'm not mad at any of the people that don't show up to my birthday parties. So I think you can assume the best of other people and you can be like, oh, they probably won't be mad at me. And you just try it and you say that first no. And usually it goes well. And then you're like, oh, this was good. It's, I'm kind of like a drug dealer. I'm like, just try it. Just give it a shot. See if you like it. And it will probably go well. And that will increase your confidence in saying no in the future. But also catch yourself if somebody says no to you and your initial reaction is to say, oh, are you sure? Can you change your mind? You know, can you change your plans? Realize that you are giving a natural reaction, but that you don't want it to come across as, you know, guilt tripping and just be like, you know what? I totally get it. I understand. Thanks for letting me know. You know, and if we all practice this with one another, then we're going to be able to say more confident no's, stick to them and be heard. Is it okay to say like, I totally get it. I just really, you know, oh, I'm so bummed. I was so hoping you could join us, but I get it. As long, I mean, can we do yes. that? Absolutely. You let the person off the hook. Right. And as long as we say, but I get it, mm-hmm. then that's okay. This is, I swear to God, I could ask you a million, million questions. <laughs> um, one of the things you, you reference a lot is feeling guilty. And we talked about the sorry, not sorry. You've also written books called Calm the Fuck Down, which has been a huge saying in my family. I am always saying to people, you know, especially now with the climate we live in, everybody needs to take a deep fucking breath. Yeah. Breathing is good. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, from someone who's been known to like hyperventilate and put her head between her legs out of a moment of panic or hiding under my desk, which is my also favorite place to go. Um. How, how in today's world, which is so crazy, how do we apply the calm the fuck down? 
So this is my best selling book for a reason, uh, and particularly this year. And I write it from the perspective of someone who actually has clinical anxiety and panic attacks and gets that capital A anxiety, but also from the point of view of someone who knows that people out there just need to solve some problems when the shit hits the fan, discrete everyday problems, you know, that don't involve you being a person who is overcome by anxiety. And I do know that the worst thing to say to someone who is experiencing anxiety is calm the fuck down. Yeah. But I also know that the fact is you got to do it because it's the only way through. Yeah. So again, I use that, you know, sense of logic and reason and really just narrowing things down. And I have what I call um, the Sarah Knight shitstorm scale. Uh, and it's a scale of one to five. So if you're freaking out about shit that hasn't even happened yet you can ask yourself, what is the probability of this happening? And if it's a one, it's highly unlikely. If it's a two, it's unlikely. Three is likely, four highly likely, five inevitable. So it's kind of like the hurricane scale, except it's all about likelihood. And if you answer one or two, you gotta let it go. You shouldn't be worrying about this because you are wasting your fuck bucks. You are depleting your fuck budget, your time, energy, and money worrying about something that is unlikely to occur. And then after the fact, if it has occurred, then I have a little something I call PHEW, P-H-E-W, Productive, Helpful, Effective Worrying. And that's when you go, what about this can I control? The stuff I can't control, I set aside. The stuff I can, I spend my time, energy, and money working on. Okay, um, hold on. Wait, usually... you gotta rep- I'm, I'm taking notes. What does <laughs> PHEW stand for? Because this Phew. is my life. Okay. P-H-E-W, productive, productive, helpful, helpful, effective, effective worrying. worrying. I don't mean to laugh, um, but this is my life. I'm one of those people who, even when things are great, I stop myself, I go, enjoy this moment because I have this intense anxiety that it's going to end. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I, I hear you. I like, totally hear you. Oh my ya. God, I'm so appreciative. This is so amazing. But just prepare yourself because, you know, the, the sky is going to come crashing in at one point. So I think I yeah. need the few method. I'm a big old pessimist myself. Um, and often I overextend myself planning for eventualities. I'm always trying to game things out and be like, well, if this happens, then that. And I have to be prepared for 40 different scenarios. But if you've already taken the Serenite shitstorm scale and you've called it a one or a two, you don't have to prepare for it, okay? It's unlikely to happen. You've admitted that it's unlikely to happen and you can knock that off of your list of things to worry about and focus on that productive, helpful, effective worrying where you just are looking at the things that are likely to occur or inevitable. You know, There's a lot of things that you just know are gonna happen and if you can accept them now and prepare as best you can with the parts that you can control, you can mitigate the outcome, you can make it less bad for yourself than it has to be. And occasionally you can even stop it from happening, but not if you've been wasting your fuck bugs on the stuff that probably isn't going to happen anyway. I'm thinking about this and, and, and I'm thinking back to when my son was applying to college. And, you know, that's, again, something you can't control. Mm-hmm. It's potentially going to be a huge shitstorm when your child potentially unravels. How do you, <laughs> you know... And and some don't. Sometimes, like I got, we got very lucky. Cooper got his first choice, but the awesome. anxiety. Congrats. Oh, thank you. The anxiety of all that was so overwhelming, and obviously they're going through it too. How do you impart this on your kids? How do you share this with 
I mean, I know little kids, it doesn't work, but, you know, 16 plus, and the stress on kids nowadays is off the hook. It seems like you need, it's, you need a teen version of this. Uh, I... I agree with you on that one. I hope my publisher is listening. Um, I've actually heard from a lot of parents who have said, wow, I got your book and I really want to share it with my teen child, despite all of the F-bombs, because I think it's stuff that it would have been so great to know when you were 15, 16, 18. I, certainly, I wish I had known it you know, 25 years ago. But um, what I think the, it boils down to is control what you can and accept what you can't. So certainly you and your son did everything you could control. You can control the grades. You can control getting the essays in on time and the applications in on time. You can control showing up for your college interview and, you know, but you can't control, and this is big, you can't control other people's opinions. I always say you have to stop giving a fuck about what other people think because you can't control what other people think. You can only control your own behavior. You know you've done the best. You know you're being the best version of yourself. You know you've made a decision with all of the you know, factors that you've weighed and made a decision. But sometimes you're going to do things that other people don't like for reasons that you just couldn't possibly have envisioned. You know, And other people do have a little bit of say over your life. College admissions officers do. And you know, uh, boyfriends and, you know, uh, your boyfriend's mom does, you know, she's going to decide whether she likes you or not. And it might be because you, you remind her of someone she doesn't like, or the first time she met you, she was in a bad mood and, and that has colored her opinion. But if you know that you have controlled the things that you have control over, namely your own behavior, the words that come out of your mouth, the actions that you do, then you can move forward in life with that confidence and really stop getting bogged down in the worry about the stuff you can't control. It's, you know, acknowledge the situation, accept the things you can't control and address the things you can. How do you, and this is always like the $64,000 question, how does one stop caring about what people think? I mean, and I, by the way, and I put that in the idea of that doesn't mean you get to be an asshole. Exactly. Um, you have to accept the fact that you can't control what other people think. You know, why do you want to waste your time and energy freaking out about what somebody else thinks when you have no control over it? A lot of what I talk about in all my books is acceptance. Accept what you cannot control. Accept that a situation has happened and move forward into solving the problems that you can control. Which is a little bit like your book, You Do You. Yeah, I mean, You Do You, the only book that does not have the F word in the title, happens to also be my favorite of all of the No Fucks Given guides because it's about accepting yourself for who you are, you know, flaws and all, or what other people try to tell you are flaws, but really just saying, like, there is nothing wrong with me. I am going to move forward in life doing what I want to do, being who I want to be, you know, making unconventional life choices that rub other people the wrong way, letting my free flag fly whatever it might be, and not worrying about what other people think because you can't control what other people think. And, you know, I say in that book, it's the ABCs, acceptance breeds confidence. You accept, you got to accept yourself before you wreck yourself. And it really starts with working on your own behavior, your own actions, you know, and dealing with your own thoughts. I mean, you can barely control what you think. How can you control what other people think? Wouldn't that be nice if you could? I mean, that's got to be like a whole episode of Black Mirror 
<laughs> so, and by the way, I can work. I can work the word "fuck" into "you do you" for you, which is "fuck them all." You do you. Yeah, I probably should have called it "fuck the haters," but uh, you know, water under the bridge. <laughs> yeah, what can you do? So I took your your. First of all, what I love is all of your stuff is very funny, which I believe makes things accessible. You know. Uh, my mother and I always talked about that you can't hate someone that you laugh with. Exactly. You can dislike them. You can not get along with them, but you truly can't hate anyone that you laugh with, which made this, your, your method, I hate using the word method, so appealing to people like me. But I took your, which chipmunk are you quiz. Fantastic. And I came out a Simon with a little Alvin. Okay. Okay. Now, what does that, what does that say about me? Um, And one of the things that you talk about with Simon is you have trouble maintaining your sanity. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, it did not make me feel good about myself. Explain the- I'm a Simon. Oh, sisters. Simon sisters. Simons Unite. So um, this is from my book, Get Your Shit Together. And, you know, I talk about there's three kinds of people in the world and I base them off of the three chipmunks, uh, Alvin, Alvin, Simon, Simon and Theodore. Theodore. And so, you know, the Simons are, are type A, they're overachieving, they're controlling, they're ambitious. They've got all the balls in the air and they look like they have their shit together to the outside world. But really it's death by a thousand cuts. Really the Simons are prone to just losing it you know when going to hide under your desk actually it would be a good example of a a way that a Simon is like I'm out (laughs) um Alvin's are a little more casual you know they they get their stuff done but maybe they don't get it done until the last minute other other folks maybe a little bit nervous about depending on an Alvin because every once in a while they really blow it um Theodore's don't even know where to start Theodore's are just a mess my mom is a Theodore my husband's an Alvin I'm a Simon, and we all have a little bit of the other chipmunks floating around in us, but essentially the idea is that to get your shit together, you know, first you have to identify the ways in which your shit is lacking togetherness, Um, and for Simons, it's, you know, we don't know how to say no. We're people pleasers. We're overachievers. We take on too much, so I have all kinds of other methods in that book, like the must-do method, which is how you call your to-do list, which for me is always just out of control and long and say, what must I do today? Push the other stuff off until tomorrow. Yeah, prioritize. Guess what, Simon? Guess what, Simon? But prioritize by urgency. Yes. What literally must get done today? Alvin's like to prioritize by what's easy or, you know, what they feel like doing. Um, And that just ends up, you know, with an Alvin that has a to-do list that all of it should have been done you know, five days ago because they only did the easy stuff that wasn't really urgent. My and son was an Alvin, but now he's much more of a Simon without the total freakouts. Fantastic. I want to be he him was, when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, but believe me, he does have the freakouts. They do happen. Um, you know, and I always know when he calls me, that's, that's we know we're going to have a freakout. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but he's becoming a Simon. <laughs> but all through, you know, and teenagers, I think, pretty much are Alvins. Yeah. For the most um, particularly part. Particularly boy teenagers. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's the experience I speak of. What do you do uh, when you, with your mother-in-law if she's, you know, one of the chipmunks that does not get along with your chipmunk? 
Um, so I have two mothers-in-law because my husband has a, a mother and a stepmother, mm-hmm. um, and they both have different approaches to life that are that are equally different to my approach. And luckily, I've been uh, you know part of this family for twenty years. So congratulations! I think, I think we've all developed our coping mechanisms to deal with one another. But I always return to honesty and politeness. I did spend the first probably half of my relationship with my husband, not understanding my own anxiety in my own life and not understanding what was triggering me and why I was so bent out of shape when I was dealing with folks who don't think the same way I do and who don't um, have the same priorities I do. You guys say the old, I don't understand why they don't get it. Exactly. And I was like, oh, it's because I haven't told them it. I haven't been honest. I've been trying to fight these battles in my own head. I've been trying to address this imagined guilt that isn't even being put on me. And it's making me anxious and resentful and frustrated and just, you know, generally kind of not the greatest uh, daughter-in-law, perhaps not the greatest spouse to my husband because I was getting so, you know, uh, freaked out all the time. And when I started just being honest and polite, it was like the floodgates opened. I was like, I do not want to do this. And here is why I love you. Um, I'll see you another time, you know, or this is not my idea of, uh, of a great girls gathering. What if we could do X, Y, or Z? You know, I always talk about offering alternatives that work for you because it's entirely possible that the person on the other end will be like, oh, sure. Great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a much better thing to do. So honesty and politeness really works. Um, and also, it's okay to bow out of things that you don't want to do if doing them is going to make you anxious and resentful and frustrated and it's going to make you lash out at the people you're with. The idea is to preserve the quality of the time you do spend together and the things you do do. And this is nowhere more important than with family, but also with friends. You know, I had a group of friends that always were inviting me to pub trivia and I kept kind of making excuses about why I couldn't go. And finally I was like, I don't like pub trivia. I don't like group trivia. I don't want to do this. So I'm never going to say yes. So instead of this sort of kabuki theater of, you know, making up excuses, I'm just going to tell you that you can stop asking me and then we can put this behind us. And they were like, oh, okay. Not going to invite you to pub trivia again, (laughs) you know, honest and polite. And my feelings aren't hurt that you're not. And also, if you lie about things and you make up excuses, you're probably going to get caught in them, you know, and that just opens it up for you having been the asshole and your friend being more upset about the fact that you lied than about the fact that you were just straight up honest, kind about it, you know, make the selfish decision and execute it as unselfishly as possible. Um, When I was zipping all over your website, which I became Mm -hmm. obsessed with in the last 48 hours. I started reading all of your articles. I like the bikini body. I have a body. I have a bikini. Therefore, I have a bikini body. This is hilarious to me. You also did rules for switching seats on an airplane. And we're all starting to get ready to travel. And they're going to stop blocking middle seats. Could you please give my listeners a primer, a cliff notes, a review of airplane etiquette? Yeah. So we need to understand that this is not a free concert in Central Park. You don't just get to sit wherever. You have a seat assignment and that is where you are supposed to sit. And you definitely do not just switch your seat without asking. Okay. So first you ask a flight attendant, could I switch my seat? Is this seat that I want to switch to available? If they say no, that is the end of the conversation. You also have to inquire with the people around you. And I wrote that article after 
something that I described in the piece happened to myself and my husband, where basically somebody kind of gave away my seat to some um, elderly woman who didn't speak English well, at I was all. Say, so I this was poor woman, a, yeah, this poor woman didn't even speak English. She didn't know what even was happening. And I was on a flight from the Dominican Republic where I live uh, to New York, I think. And I do have a pretty, I have a decent rudimentary grasp of Spanish. My husband speaks it better than I do. And we ended up having to sort of explain to this woman that she had been ejected from her seat by people who wanted to sit together, who put her in my seat. And I was like, no, no, that's my seat. I literally, this is my seat, you know, and it became this whole huge thing because people don't understand that this isn't just a free for all. You do not get to just switch seats on an airplane because you decided you wanted to do that. First of all, well, rule number one is don't switch seats. Rule number two is if you really have to ask first. And if you, rule number three is if you are told no, then that's the end of the conversation. You do not just get up and switch. I mean, and frankly, you do not give away somebody else's seat without without asking. I mean, it was just, it was an absolute, it, it, it boggled my mind and I had to write about it. You also talk about one for one. You don't trade right. an aisle for a middle or what, because I like a window. I'm Me a window too. person because I can sleep and I don't I, get up. You lean your head on the. And, yeah. I, and I'm not someone who gets up a lot during the flight. You know, I've been traveling my whole life. So I'm out. Like yeah, I'm I plan, sleeping. I plan my pee schedule so that I don't have to disrupt anybody in the middle in the aisle seat because I bought that window seat. I, I sought it out. I reserved it on purpose. Like I did this on purpose to get this seat. You do not get to just take my seat. Um, and it's all, you know, it all boils down to just like being like a good human who does not take advantage of other people. Um, and I talk a lot about this in my books the difference between good selfish and bad selfish. You know, I selfishly selected my seat um, and I selfishly am going to maintain that boundary. I am not going to just let anybody take it. Um, and bad selfish is when you're like, well, I want to sit over there. So I'm just going to do it. Hope that it works out and let other people have to have to drag me kicking and screaming out of a seat that was not mine to begin with. That is bad. Don't and do you, that. You say, you know, there are certain you know exceptions, like if you're a baby traveling. So one time I was traveling with my son who was very young at the time, but old enough to have his own seat. And somebody, they hadn't, for whatever reason, they hadn't seated us together and it was a full flight and we were in first class mm -hmm. and, you know, the agent kept saying, no, we can't get anyone to switch. We can't get anyone to switch. So <laughs> I put my son in his seat and I took my seat mm -hmm. and the person who, by the way, I love and adore, was Rick Fox. And I <laughs> okay. said, they said I couldn't get anyone to switch with me. But just so you know, he has all of his snacks. His games are in his backpack. I put it under the seat. He's a very good traveler. But just so you know, he'll try and ask for two Sundays. We were on American. <laughs> and, I, and he started laughing. He's like, of course I'll switch seats. Right. But, you know, again, it was, and he's, by the way, one of my favorite, like, he, I love him to death. He's lovely and great humor. But I just did that. I'm like, okay, the gate agent and the flight attendant are saying me, no one will switch. I'm like, all right, go sit there. <laughs> I'll sit over here. And if, and, you know, I'm like, he's very well behaved, everything he needs. Just be careful. He'll try and order double Sundays. The fastest way to get me to switch a seat with you is to put an unattended minor next to me. Yeah. Um, so if anybody's <laughs> looking for that, for that loophole, they've got it. But yeah, generally speaking, man, 
it is insane the way people just treat flights as just, you know, oh, no, no, I want to be over here. So I'm going to do that. Right. No. You know, and I, you know, the times I've had to, like, I've been very, very lucky, like that Rick, of course, started to laugh. He's like, of course, I'm going to change seats with you. I'm sure he's a great kid, but I don't want to fly to New York next to him. Yeah. You know, he's all of like five. Then, but I mean, it also is scary that my son could order airplane food at the age of five, but that's a separate, uh, separate issue. Okay. So parting words, besides that I am honestly completely obsessed, bought in the whole thing into your program, even though I hate using that word. Anyone who does not read your books is a fool. Read the articles on your website are hilarious. And I love always meeting someone who also approaches life with humor. Thank you. So what is the one piece of advice you can leave us with? Besides my whole thing in life is don't be an asshole. I mean, that's a good one. Uh, (laughs) I really just want to hammer home this point. You've got to ask yourself the one question to rule them all. Can I control it? And if the answer is no, you got to let it go. And uh, on my No Fucks Given podcast, the last two weeks, episodes 10 and 11, I did like a little mini series on anxiety management and letting go of shit you can't control and tips for doing that. But that is the one question to rule them all. It's where everything starts. Can I control it? No, you got to let it go. Which is hard for us Simons of letting go of trying to control everything in our environment. It is hard, but it is not impossible. And boy, does your life get better after you learn how to do it. (laughs) Well, Sarah, you give me hope. How about that? Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. 